Hello and welcome to Coco Pods, a podcast of the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. My name is Dr. Bola Sogade and I'm your host. Today we are fortunate to have with us Dr. Ogushakin, an infectious disease specialist. Thank you, Dr. Ogushakin, for coming to our podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Now, it's known that herpes simplex virus infection of the genital tract is one of the most commonly sexually transmitted infections and that the true incidence of genital herpes simplex virus infection is not known. And in addition, most individuals that are infected with the herpes simplex virus are unaware that they have contracted the virus. Approximately 5 to 15% of infected individuals report recognition of their infections. An estimated 1.6 million new herpes types 2 infections occur annually in the United States. And there are approximately 50 million prevalent herpes type 2 infections among adolescents and adult individuals in the United States. And I know that in pregnancy, as from a particular time in the third trimester, we give them antiviral medications to suppress the infection so that the latent infections do not become active. Can you speak to how we can manage people that don't have active infections? It is very important to identify people who have been infected with herpes simplex type 2, pregnant women especially. In a lot of situations, these women are asymptomatic. They have no symptoms. They are not manifesting with recurrent ulcerations. They, are, they, are, they have latent infection, which means it's just dormant. Even though they may be shedding virus on a low level, they don't have active ulcerations and they may not even know that they have herpes simplex type 2. Uh, but by screening pregnant women, we can identify those. Now, the thing about herpes simplex is it's, it flares up anytime somebody's under stress. And sometimes pregnant women subjected to stress during pregnancy can have flares of herpes simplex. And even a difficult delivery can be a stress, a stressor that can result in a flare of herpes simplex. Now, it is not all the time that herpes simplex will flare up and manifest as ulcerations. Herpes simplex can flare up asymptomatically and the patient will be shedding virus without even having uh, visible ulcerations. So that is important so that if we identify those women who are infected with herpes simplex, because it's a latent virus, which means that once somebody is infected, they're infected for life. It doesn't go away. It can be latent, it can be quiet, it can be dormant, but it's always present. And it doesn't have to manifest as ulcers for the person to be shedding virus. So the first thing is to identify those who are infected. And because even those who don't flare up and show ulcers can shed virus, it is a good strategy to suppress the virus by giving antivirals at the time of delivery to suppress those who are who don't have uh, ulcerations but may be shedding low-level virus. So that's a good strategy by, to give medications to suppress the shedding of virus even in those 
women who don't have active flare-ups? Now, very rarely, uh, herpes simplex virus can lead to herpes simplex virus hepatitis. And this is a rare diagnosis, can be easily missed in pregnancy because of its similarity to pregnancy-specific symptoms, but it can also be very dangerous in a pregnant woman. So I want you to speak to, you know, hepatitis in pregnancy and how it can affect the, the mother and or the baby. Hepatitis in pregnancy is a huge topic because not only is herpes simplex a cause of a dangerous hepatitis in pregnant women, we have viral hepatitis A, B, C, D, and E. In pregnant women, acute hepatitis caused by hepatitis A and hepatitis E are very dangerous acutely, which means they get an infection, newer infection, and then they get uh, severe systemic illness, they get lethargy, their eyes get yellow, they get jaundice, and their liver gets swollen and painful, and there's systemic uh, inflammation going on, and that can actually jeopardize the mother and the baby. That's acute hepatitis A and E. How do you acquire this acute hepatitis A and E? These two kinds of hepatitis, food and waterborne, uh, that means that if somebody eats food that is contaminated with hepatitis A or E, they can get the infection. Or if they drink water that's contaminated with hepatitis A or E, they can get the infection. So these infections are very common in rural areas, in third world countries where sanitation is not very good, where personal hygiene is not very good, because this uh Viral infections are transmitted in a fecal-oral route, which means that they are present in excretion, they are present in feces, and then the feces gets contaminated, the food gets contaminated, water gets contaminated. So they are very common in societies where uh, sanitation and hygiene is poor, where there is a an easy transmission from feces to food or water. And that happens in societies where there's poor sanitation, poor environmental hygiene. That's very common in the third world and in rural areas. That happens. So by making sure that there's proper sanitation, there's proper disposal of human waste, there's proper hygiene, personal hygiene, you can reduce the incidence of acute hepatitis A and E. And so these are can be very severe. When, yes. And so when a patient, what are some of the symptoms for acute hepatitis A and E, especially in a pregnant woman, what should they look for? Usually the, the woman will develop a fever, will develop nausea, will lose appetite, will get very weak and lethargic. Then her, she will develop abdominal pain over the liver area. Her eyes will get yellow. She becomes very jaundiced. There may be nausea and vomiting and, and extreme weakness. So those are the usual signs and symptoms of hepatitis A and E. Wow. And there are other types of hepatitis that can make a pregnant woman very sick in pregnancy. Can you speak to the other types? The other types of viral hepatitis that can really hurt a pregnant woman and her baby are viral hepatitis B, viral hepatitis C, and um, D. So the main ones are B and C, viral hepatitis B and C. Uh, Hepatitis B is probably the most infectious viral disease. It's present in 
all body secretions. It's present in saliva. It's present in tears. It's present in urine. It's present in feces. It's present in body sweat. So it's present in all body fluids, and it can it can cause infection. All you have to do is get exposed to some of that infected body fluid, and it can cause infection. So things like sharing forks and knives in the home, things like sharing toothbrushes, things like using the same uh, utensils, the same cutlery, same plates, can facilitate infection with hepatitis B. So hepatitis B, if one person in the home has it, practically everybody else in the home will get it because it's so highly infectious and it's so present in all body fluids. Uh, it's very common in rural areas. It's very common in uh, even in urban areas. You know, if the infection is not diagnosed, then a lot of people around that patient are going to get infected. Um, hepatitis B can be very dangerous for the fetus, the baby, and it can cause significant morbidity and mortality in the woman as well as in her baby. So that is why it is important to screen pregnant women for hepatitis B. To screen pregnant women for hepatitis B because it's so highly infectious and it can cause significant uh, morbidity in the fetus. So usually pregnant women are all screened for hepatitis B. And if a pregnant woman is identified as having chronic hepatitis B, then that pregnant woman needs to be carefully managed. And usually that involves giving that pregnant woman an antiviral in the third, preg third trimester of pregnancy. Once um, it's identified that she has it and she qualifies uh, based on the various parameters, recommendations, then she should be treated in the third trimester with an antiviral agent. And not only that, as soon as the baby is born, the baby needs to be vaccinated and um, given immune globulin to prevent the baby from getting acute hepatitis B. And the vaccination is several shots over the first six months. Because if that is not done, then the baby will get chronic hepatitis B and that can cause significant morbidity and even kill the baby very early in infancy. So hepatitis B is a very serious illness that has to be very carefully screened and managed in pregnant women. Hepatitis C is not so infectious. It is spread mostly by blood and then it sometimes can be spread sexually, unlike hepatitis B that spread through all possible ways. So hepatitis C is less infectious, but it can also cause chronic hepatitis in the pregnant woman and cause significant morbidity and mortality as well as affecting the baby. So, you know, how can a woman prevent acquiring hepatitis B or C, just in simple terms? It is very important that a woman uh, and her close family be screened, a pregnant woman and her close family be screened for hepatitis B because if the woman's family members have hepatitis B, she's going to get it. If the woman's husband has hepatitis B, she's going to get it. So hepatitis B is one of those things that, in fact, practically everybody should be screened for hepatitis B. People should go to their healthcare providers and ask to be screened for hepatitis B because it has significant long-term effects on the body. So a pregnant woman 
needs to be mindful of the potential danger of hepatitis B. That has to be part of the education, prenatal education. That has to be something that she's made aware of so she can go home and talk to her family members and her family members should get screened for it. Because if the one family member has hepatitis B, there's a very high likelihood that that can be transmitted to the pregnant woman. So on a regular basis, everybody should be screened for hepatitis B. Children are given hepatitis B vaccine as part of their childhood immunizations so as to prevent them from getting hepatitis B. Now, is that vaccine very effective? And that's number one. And then number two, people that have hepatitis B, what are the long-term consequences? Hepatitis B vaccine is extremely effective. It's given in three doses, uh, first dose, then a second dose a month later, and then a third dose five months later. It's extremely effective. Even the first dose confers some protection on you already. So the, the, the vaccine is extremely effective, and it should be given to as many people as possible. Now, chronic hepatitis B has major, major consequences. Chronic hepatitis B, if it's not detected, is not treated over years, tends to cause damage to the liver and uh, ultimately results in something that we call liver cirrhosis, which is uh, fibrosis and scarring of the liver. It damages the liver architecture, damages the liver cells and makes the liver very hard and disrupts the normal function of the liver. So liver cirrhosis can result after many years of chronic hepatitis B. And then not only that, chronic hepatitis B over many years can result in liver cancer. It's one of the causes of liver cancer. Hepatocellular carcinoma can occur in people who have chronic hepatitis B that has been untreated. At this point in time, we don't have a cure for hepatitis B, but we have medicine that can suppress it and reduce the incidence of uh, long-term sequelae, reduce the incidence of complications over years. So um, hepatitis B can be very serious and severe for a, a liver. Thank you. And I just want to go on a uh, different note. I want to talk about the mighty yeast infection. This is just so common in you know, every woman, and a yeast infection doesn't kill anybody. But can you speak to just a yeast infection in pregnancy? A yeast infection is not just a yeast infection. A yeast infection can be very uncomfortable. It can cause a lot of itching, can cause drainage, can cause discharge. It can make a woman extremely uncomfortable. So even though it's just a yeast infection, it can cause significant morbidity. During pregnancy, there's a lot of hormones that are in play. Estrogens are being produced in, in large quantities, progesterone. And this Increased production of hormones predisposes to increased incidence of yeast infections in pregnant women because it increases the amount of sugar that is present in vaginal secretions. And you all know that yeast loves sugar. Anytime there's increased sugar in the body, there will be a yeast infection there. That is why yeast infections are very common in diabetic patients because of their high sugars. So in pregnant women, their sugars tend to be a little bit higher than usual and they have more sugar in vaginal secretions which predisposes them to uh, more frequent uh, yeast infections. These infections may also be a little bit more difficult to treat in pregnant women because of these uh, factors that I talked about 
and you may need to treat the pregnant woman for up to 10 to 14 days to get rid of the yeast infections. But it can be very uncomfortable and uh, a pregnant woman with a yeast infection is not a happy woman. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Gunshaki. There are two more things that I want us to talk about. First of all, the influenza uh, virus, you know, how the flu can be so common and yet is one of the causes of severe morbidity and actual mortality in pregnancy. And also, I want us to speak to toxoplasmosis, how that could be acquired and prevented and treated in pregnancy. So first of all, with, with the flu infection, how could that get severe in pregnancy? Uh, influenza virus is a seasonal thing, is a yearly thing, an annual thing. Um, in the fall and the winter months, uh, we have a high incidence of influenza virus infection. The pregnancy state itself is sometimes considered to be an immunocompromised situation state. Uh, because of the hormones that are in play, it may lower the, the pregnant mother's immunity to some extent. And influenza in pregnant women can be very, very severe due to this uh, slightly lowered immune status of a pregnant woman. And not only that, influenza can be a stepping stone into a secondary bacterial infection. One of the most common uh, consequences of an influenza infection is a secondary staphylococcal pneumonia. Uh, it is well recognized that patients who get influenza, especially when it's severe influenza, they are at very high risk for developing staph pneumonia. And staph pneumonia is a very severe pneumonia. Staph pneumonia can put somebody in the hospital, can put somebody on a ventilator. So pregnant women must be vaccinated against influenza. It is very, very critical to protect them from getting influenza because they can develop severe influenza with complications that may jeopardize their life as well as the baby. And the American College of OBGYN has stated that a pregnant woman can receive the vaccine at any trimester of pregnancy. So anytime a pregnant woman comes to us and it's within the time in which we offer uh, vaccinations, we offer it to them and we advise them to take the vaccinations. Definitely. Influenza vaccine is very safe in pregnant women and it has a lot of benefits. So all pregnant women should make sure they get the influenza vaccine if they are within the uh, influenza season. So we are so fortunate to have Dr. Ogunshakin here with us at our podcast at the Birth Center for Natural Deliveries Foundation. Dr. Ogunshakin, one of the questions I get from my patients, especially my patients uh, with pets, uh, patients with cats, they ask me so many questions about how, you know, having a cat, handling that, their cat litter, and um, I know one of the infections that can come from that is toxoplasmosis. Could you please speak to that? Okay, toxoplasmosis is a disease that can be acquired by people who have cats, who have cats that go outside and hunt rodents and birds and eat these rodents and birds. Now, toxoplasmosis is usually an infection in things like a mice in the field, birds flying around in the garden. But when your cat goes outside, hunts, kills, and eats those animals, then they can get infected by a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii. 
And these parasites can cause toxoplasmosis. Now, the cat itself may not be sick, may be totally asymptomatic, but the cat will be shedding the parasite in his feces, in the stool. So the most common way that people get toxoplasmosis from their cats is usually when they clean the cat litter box. The cat litter box is where the cat knows to defecate and it contains the cat feces. So when people are cleaning that box, they can get exposed to the cat feces that contains the toxoplasma parasite. So pregnant women are particularly advised not to clean the cat litter box, not to get exposed to cat feces. Uh, because if they get exposed to cat feces on their hands and then they, they touch their mouth or they eat with their hands, then the parasite can get into the pregnant woman. And the parasite, when it gets into the pregnant woman, can infect the fetus, can infect the unborn child with severe consequences for the unborn child. So pregnant women are advised not to empty the litter box, but if they have to, they need to wear gloves and they need to wash their hands thoroughly afterwards, you know, in order to prevent their exposure to toxoplasma and um, in order to prevent the baby getting toxoplasmosis because the baby can get congenital toxoplasmosis. That is infection of the baby before the baby is born and that can result in severe, severe abnormalities in the, in the unborn baby. It can result in blindness, deafness, various other congenital malformations in the baby. So toxoplasmosis is a very, very important infection that pregnant women need to be educated about in order to prevent getting infected and prevent getting their babies infected. Wow, thank you. How about the Zika virus? That is something that can also affect the baby's brain. And can you speak to the Zika virus infection in pregnancy? Yes. Zika virus is a virus that is transmitted by mosquitoes. It's, it's originated in South America, but it has spread to many parts of the world, including the United States. Um, it's transmitted by mosquitoes. So it's important that pregnant women should avoid exposure to mosquitoes, should avoid being outside uh, in the summertime, in uh, the evening hours when mosquitoes are about, because if they get infected with Zika virus, that virus can severely affect the baby and cause things like uh, what we call microcephaly, the baby is born with a small head, or encephaly, the baby is born with no head. These are very, very severe consequences of Zika virus infection. It can severely disrupt the nervous system of the unborn child. So Zika virus is transmitted by mosquitoes. You need to avoid exposure to mosquitoes. Uh, if you live in an area where uh, Zika virus has been reported, you need to avoid being outside. You need to avoid being outside in the evening when mosquitoes are around. You need to take steps to eliminate uh, breeding grounds for mosquitoes. Make sure that the bushes are cut low. Make sure that no standing water uh, areas. Make sure that there are no pots in the, in, the, in the garden that mosquitoes can use as breeding grounds. Make sure that no water collections are around your house that mosquitoes can breed in. So Zika virus is still a problem and uh, pregnant women need to make sure that they don't get bitten by mosquitoes and get infected. Wow, thank you. 
And then one last thing, Dr. Ogunshaki, I have patients that just love sushi. They just love sushi. And at times sushi contains uncooked uh, seafood. Can you speak to that in pregnancy? Sushi mostly contains food that has not been cooked, seafood and things like that, vegetables uncooked. And anything that has not been cooked that contains bacteria has a potential to infect whoever eats it. Some restaurants, when they produce their sushi, they, they may take uh, some very strict steps to make sure that it's sanitary. But still, any food that is not cooked contains bacteria and can cause an infection in whoever eats it. Uncooked seafood is a major uh, risk for well, something that we call anisakiasis. And this is a worm that is present in deep sea fish uh, like salmon. This, the fish has to be frozen to a certain temperature in order to kill this, the worm that's in the flesh of the fish. And if this is not done, then the worm will survive. And whoever eats that, the flesh of that fish, the worm will come alive in their bowels and punch a hole through their stomach and cause excruciating abdominal pain. So anisakiasis is well recognized and most uh, fish markets and uh, know that they must freeze their fish to a certain temperature in order to kill the worm in the fish. Anybody who eats uncooked fish that has not been frozen like that is at risk for the worm called anisakiasis. So if patients develop that symptom, can that be treated? Yeah, they need to go to the emergency room right away and the person will be evaluated. And if the worm is located in the, the um, stomach, it can actually be removed endoscopically before it can cause further damage. Wow. So we are so fortunate to have been talking to Dr. Ogunshaki. He is an infectious disease physician and specialist in the middle Georgia area. Thank you so much for throwing a lot of light on some of the infections that can cause serious illness and even mortality in pregnant women. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Dr. Ogunshakin, thank you so much for the information that you are giving us today. So for a pregnant woman in Georgia and possibly in, the, in a rural city in Georgia, what can she do to prevent dying or to prevent getting very sick from pregnancy-related infections in 2021 America? Yes, that's a very, very important question. In some rural areas, uh, there may not be access to very good health care. It is important that all pregnant women know that good personal hygiene is important, good nutrition, eating a balanced diet, lots of fruits and vegetables is important. It's also important for them to know that even access to things like midwives or doulas can help them in uh carrying a successful pregnancy and have a good, having a good outcome with a healthy baby. There are certain states in the United States that have very effective prenatal programs or, and um, are able to actually educate their pregnant women. They're able to uh, prevent uh, significant maternal mortality. 
and actually reduce the maternal mortality rate. I mean, California is one of those states that has actually developed a program that has significantly cut maternal mortality to half what it is in the rest of the United States. California put together a program that is not too expensive, that is very, very successful and should actually be uh, emulated by the other states in the, in the nation. So maternal mortality is a very crucial um, topic. Mothers need to know that they can do a lot on their own to prevent infections. They can do a lot on their own to guarantee a safe pregnancy and delivery by ensuring good personal hygiene, ensuring that their food is well cooked, ensuring that they eat a nutritious, balanced diet, ensuring that they drink lots of water and ensuring that they get lots of rest because all these factor into uh, a successful pregnancy as well as prenatal vitamins. So access to good prenatal care is very important, but even in those areas where you don't have access to uh, prenatal care, even a midwife or a doula can assist pregnant women in having a successful pregnancy and delivery. Thank you so much, Dr. Ogunshakin, for coming to our program and just for the education and the information that you've given us today. You're welcome.